From the New York offices of Oxford University Press, this is the Oxford Comment, a monthly podcast featuring insights from Oxford University Press authors, editors, and more. My name is Sara, multimedia producer and your host for this episode. For the past month, I've been following the trail of a word, and that word is mullet. In April 2013, the Oxford English Dictionary sent out a public appeal to determine when exactly the word began to be used in reference to that infamous hairstyle, business in the front, party in the back, with some intriguing results. Most of us would guess that the term originated in the 1980s, right? Why do we think that? I turned to several key players in this story in order to determine when and why the trail went cold. My first lead came from Catherine Connor Martin, head of U.S. Dictionaries at Oxford University Press. We sat down in the author's studio in the New York office, and I asked her if she could outline the origins of mullet for me. Yes, in fact, the Oxford English Dictionary has nine separate entries for mullet noun, and each one has a different etymology and a different meaning. The oldest one dates to 1393, and it refers to various kinds of fish. Um, but I think the one that we're most interested uh, in today is only attested from 1994, and the OED defines it as a hairstyle, worn especially by men, in which the hair is cut short at the front and sides and left long at the back. What recently came up was that we're not sure if the term was actually used to refer to the hairstyle in the 80s and was actually as you said, dated 1994 as the first time someone used it? Yes, when we went to research this originally, when we created the OED entry, we all remembered, because we're old enough, <laughs> that, that mullets had been in existence in the 1980s, so we expected that the first dates that we found would be from the 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, um, but they weren't. In fact, the earliest evidence we could find every time we looked into it was it, the trail went cold before with uh, the Beastie Boys and um, a 1994 song that they had released. Um, and that was seemed baffling. Um, and as a result, we decided to put up an appeal, which is something that we do sometimes asking for input from members of the public to see if they can offer their own expertise or help us trace back the origin of the word a little bit further. How did the connection to the Beastie Boys come to be? Catherine pointed me towards Graham Diamond, Editorial Content Director for the Oxford English Dictionary. I called up Graham in the UK office and asked him about the antedating process. Um, so, uh, one of the things that makes the Oxford English Dictionary such a sort of unique resource um, is that it gives, um, a feel, uh, illustrates a full history of the word's use, um, which includes sort of most vitally um, when it first came into use, insofar as we can establish that. Um, so every um, sense or every entry has what we call a quotation paragraph. And the first quotation in that paragraph will be the first use of a particular word um, that we've been able to locate. Um, and so that being a sort of vital part of the service that OED can provide to users, um, we're always very interested in being able to push that date backwards with um, genuine uses of a word earlier than the one we've so far been able to find. In the case of, of mullet, um, that was uh, finding a, a print reference to the word, referring to it as a hairstyle in that uh, Beastie Boys magazine. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay. initially, I think we had um, a quotation. The Beastie Boys in the 90s published a magazine called Grand Royal, 
Um, and that, I think we had already been tipped off that that included. Um, they got quite keen on describing the mullet for a period there in the 90s. Um, and that led us backward to the fact that um, on one of the Beastie Boys albums, uh, there was a song called Mullet Head, uh, which is in fact about the hairstyle. Um, so that's actually, uh, that song was released in 1994 and that currently supplies us with our first quotation for mullet it reads the quotation reads you want to know what's a mullet well i got a little story to tell about a hairstyle that's a way of life and you said you were you were tipped off already that about it being in print somewhere yes well we have um we run our own reading program okay um uh which extends primarily uh, to North American and uh, UK publications, um, and we have uh, we actually pay people to read, you know, sort of uh, various kinds of texts. Could be magazines, could be new books, could be old books to, to find earlier uses. Um, but basically, they have the brief to um, alert us to any uses of words they find unusual or new, uh, and. Uh, um, that then goes on to a massive database we have, which is called Incomings. Uh, and um, I should think when we began work on assembling the entry for Mullet, I think we had already located a quote from the magazine Grand Royal, mm-hmm. which then, like, sort of a bit like archaeology, led us backwards down through the layers um, to the, the Beastie Boys song, which currently supplies the first quotation. So a public appeal was sent out sometime afterwards around April of 2013, but this isn't a new strategy for the Oxford English Dictionary. Graham explained to me that the history of public appeals stretches back all the way to the 19th century. As with the reading program I was describing before, we need people to scout out material for us, and part of that has always been uh, contributions from um, what used to be readers, and I guess it's now users of the OED, um, from their own reading. and. Uh, the first one of these actually was um, before the Oxford English Dictionary even existed. Um, in 1857, an appeal went out for, um, from the Philological Society of London to ask for um, people encountering words that they di- didn't find in their own dictionaries. And the results of this appeal led to the idea of writing a brand new dictionary covering all this new vocabulary. Uh, and then once the OED itself, it was at that point called a new English dictionary um, was sort of approved, and it, you know the process was rolling. The original er- editor, uh, James Murray, sent out an appeal to the public in 1879, which is the first actual uh, OED appeal. He uh, had a targeted, more targeted approach because they were working on certain certain parts of the alphabet, basically. So his very versed appeal um, concentrated on words that were at the start of the alphabet in the letter A. Then throughout the dictionary's history, you know, 150 years odd of history, um, of course the language keeps changing and we need to keep abreast of it. So there have at various stages through that time uh, been appeals launched for evidence for particular things that we feel readers might be in a really good position to provide more evidence for than we can get through our sort of usual sources, which is effectively our reading program and our own in-house databases uh, and commercially available internet archives of print sources. At the outset of this investigation, I had a hazy idea of what goes into researching and fact-checking word origins, the process of antedating, 
but I really had no idea how involved this process was or that it had such an extensive history. I also asked Catherine about public appeals, and she made a fantastic comparison that I need to share with you because it really stuck with me as I learned more and more about this story. We often say we've been crowdsourcing since before there was a word for it. One of the earliest examples of crowdsourcing, a movement that has become pretty much ubiquitous on the internet these days. No one is restricted to snail mail. People can crowdsource word origins wherever they want. And in this case, they took the conversation to Reddit. We posted the appeal in April 2013, and we got immediately respo immediate responses. Several commenters responded they were certain they remembered the word being used in the 1980s or even the 1970s. Um, and a few specifically mentioned Australia as being where they had heard the term. Um, but the problem is that people's memories are not always reliable, but we can't take your word for it. We have to actually have evidence. So um, the OED is always looking for documentation. Can we prove that the word was used? And in this case, no one could. So after a little while, that thread on the OED appeal posted online went dormant uh, for almost two years until suddenly, a couple of months ago, we got a new comment. And the new comment linked to an image online from an Australian magazine. So there we saw that connection with Australia again that we'd see that had been suggested by the original commenters. And it linked to an, an image from a magazine called Street Machine, which is for uh, car enthusiasts published in Australia. Um, and it appeared to date from the January 1992 issue. So, and, and people are always, I think it's the nature of Reddit to be very excited if you can prove the, disprove the right. authorities. And so this was appealing for that reason. Yeah. Where, you know, showing, showing the power of the crowd um, over the, the ivory tower. A few Reddit threads respond in response to this mullet mystery since the public appeal was first posted. I may not have found all of them, but there was one TIL, Today I Learned, thread that had been updated with links to an Australia Reddit page where the images from Street Machine were posted. The original poster first provided an imager link to a photo of the magazine spread open. On the left page is the text. On the right is an image of a young man with a mullet hairstyle sitting in front of a Mustang. There's bright purple text overlaying the image that reads mullet, used to describe the hairstyle in Street Machine magazine, Australia 1991, with arrows pointing to the man's hair and the article text. Later on in the Reddit thread, there was a request for more information to add to Wikipedia, and the original poster responded with an image of the inside panel of the magazine, and then sometime later responded again with an image of the cover. Most responses to the images were positive and congratulatory. But an imager link is not enough proof, as Catherine explained to me. The OED needs that magazine issue in print in order to officially change the entry on mullet. My next point of contact was Sarah Mann, head of bibliography and library research for the Oxford English Dictionary. I phoned Sarah in the UK office and asked her for more details about the OED's team of library researchers. We have a team of library researchers in the UK and North America, the US and Canada. Um, but our research for mullet in um, the meaning of the hairstyle took us to libraries in Australia. So we don't have any researchers there, unfortunately. So we, we contacted librarians at big libraries in Australia to ask them to do some research on our behalf. Um, so we have a, a photograph of what looks like a legitimate magazine from data from January 1992. 
and we wanted to check that with a holding library and there are no holding libraries outside Australia and New Zealand. So I got in touch first of all with the National Library of Australia to ask them if they could track down their copy of this magazine for January 1992. And then the plot thickened a little bit because they got back to me to say that they had checked their copy of that issue and it did not have the same, the same article in it. So then we thought, well, it must be in a different version of the same magazine. Perhaps there's a New Zealand version or perhaps this is a special issue of the magazine, something like that. So speculatively, I then contacted the State Library of New South Wales and just as the librarian at the National Library of Australia had, the librarian there gave me a fantastic, in-depth and very thoughtful response, um, but still failed to come up with the relevant quotation. So their copy of that issue of the magazine was exactly the same as the one held by the National Library of Australia. Um, so we have drawn a blank there. And uh, just if I could walk back a little before um, you got in touch with the the libraries in Australia. Um, sure. At, at what point were you sort of brought in on this? I didn't have much background. The library research team exists uh, to help OED editors in their research. So when OED editors don't have the resources to hand or they don't have time to follow up research that they want to do, they might commission research from the library researchers. And the strength of that team is that they are in um, a great many libraries across North America and the UK um, with access to very rich holdings. Um, and so the editor, OED editors will raise hundreds of requests for us each month. Ah, okay. Uh, and we um, send those out to our, to our researchers. We have six, six staff researchers and 16 non-staff researchers in uh, big libraries such as the Library of Congress, British Library, the Bodleian Library in Oxford, Yale, Harvard, many others. And when we don't have a researcher at a library where we need to check something, then we will contact that library directly to ask them to do the research on our behalf. And that's what happened in this case. So this was really one of many requests that passes across my computer screen. Mm -hmm. And I had expected it to be like any other, that we write to the library, ask them to check the special issue for us, and we get a reply saying, yes, it's on that page, and that's the quotation, end of story. But um, in this case, we came back with a, you know, they came back with a different answer. It's very tantalizing because there's uh, an account, an imager account that has uploaded this thing, so there must be a person behind that account. So, you know, that potentially they're quite close to us. You know, it's, um, it's just out, it feels just out of reach at the moment. The article exists in the issues that we have had checked on our behalf. Right. Um, but there is a very similar sentence um, in, in some of them, in, in, the, in the version that um, we have been able to have checked, but it doesn't include the word mullet, crucially. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yes. yes, the librarian in the National Library of Australia said that they had checked their copy of Street Machine for that date, and on page 31 there is some wording that is very similar to the quote you provided. The quote is, three years ago, Craig Parker reckoned he could build a car as good as or better than what was on offer both locally and from overseas. 
so it's it's very similar to the quotation in the image online, but not quite the same. Right, and the the image online it, it says something like um, mullet headed or mullet haired or something. Or... Indeed, it yeah. says. If I can read it, it says three years ago, Craig Parker was a mullet haired teenager who wanted to build a car that could rival the best, both in Australia and overseas. And what about Street Machine magazine? Apparently, they conducted their own investigation into this mystery. But there wasn't a January 1992 issue. There was a January-February 1992 double issue. And the cover looked more or less the same as the cover that had been posted online, except for the date. Um, But the text that referred to this mullet-haired individual was nowhere to be found. Hmm. And so we had arrived at an impasse. We couldn't prove that it was there, but we also couldn't prove that it wasn't there because we couldn't find any January 1992 magazine. Someone named Glenn Wells, who's a librarian at uh, the Library of New South Wales, contacted the editorial staff of Street Machine magazine itself to see if perhaps they had this mysterious January 1992 issue in their own archives. They didn't have it in their archives, but once again, they had been bitten by the mullet bug, so they went to their Facebook page and posted um, a request saying, um, "Do you? we don't have this January 1992 edition, but maybe you do. And then they, for the first time, introduced the possibility, or is this just a clever Photoshop job? Ah. Um, and several of the fans of Street Machine magazine uploaded pictures of their own copies of the January-February 1992 double issue, which they had saved all these years, but no one was able to find the January 1992 issue. But why would someone Photoshop Photoshop that, right? Or if they did, why make it so close? Um, And the possibility was raised of there having been perhaps a special promotional issue because there was um, some sort of event, promotional event that Street Machine Magazine was involved of in January 1992. Uh, So maybe this was an early edition. Could it have been a New Zealand edition, but apparently they didn't publish one. I reached out to Street Machine Magazine for their comments, but received no response. And their Facebook post from March 19th has not received any recent revelations concerning the January 1992 issue. I asked Catherine where everything stands as of now. So we're left with this tantalizing possibility of the January 1992 Australian evidence. Um, The Australian origin is supported by uh, the anecdotal evidence that had been posted on the OED appeals. Um, It makes sense to most of us who lived through the 1980s that mullet would have been used earlier than 1994. Um, And it looks like a like it's a very good Photoshop job if it is a Photoshop job. Um, why would anyone go to all of this trouble to right. hoodwink the OED? Yeah. Um, it, makes, it makes sense and seems logical that it could be true, but having looked so hard um, and explored all of these different possibilities, mm-hmm. it's seeming increasingly unlikely that there is some mysterious ni- January 1992 <laughs> edition of Street Machine magazine. So... Um, we're at an impasse, and uh, we've we've posted to the original Reddit thread where this mystery was raised, um, asking for more help tracking down 
the January 1992 <laughs> uh, magazine, um, and we're just hoping that the original poster will come forward and yeah. we'll be able to to find it because it, we we'd love to be able to verify it. On the other hand, if it's true that the Beasties coined this term themselves, that's not a bad story either. Right. So yeah. there's 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 no there's no loser in this situation. <laughs> but we hope to find the truth because uh, that's. That's our, our goal at the OED, is to try to represent the most up-to-date information possible about the history of the English language, and not having an answer to this question is very galling. Yeah, yeah. So going forward, it's, it's sort of a waiting game, trying to figure out if this person will respond. And Yes, we can't, we, we can't make any change to the OED entry until we have right. verified, concrete, tangible evidence of an earlier use of the word. So until then, uh, it's going to, the, the Beastie Boys will continue to be given credit for the coinage of mullet in this sense. Why can't we just rely on our memories to antedate words? Reddit was full of posters remembering mullet being used in the 1980s. I decided I should talk to an expert in 80s and 90s nostalgia. Hilary Buckholtz runs the nostalgia blog I'm Remembering, with nearly 300,000 followers on Tumblr and counting. She said she isn't surprised at its popularity. So then I started putting, you know, putting all these memories and the stuff that I remembered on, on the blog, and it, it didn't surprise me um, that people responded to it because I think just for the, the cohort of, you know, people on this age group, like people that were born, I guess, between you know, 1976 and 1984, I don't know, um, remembered all this stuff and kind of shared that, um, all these pop culture memories. It's a little bit superficial, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes I think that, you know, it's a little bit sad, like, that all of this stuff is sort of pop cultural and it's advertising and it's related to fast food. And, and I watched a lot of television and, you know, engaged in a lot of pop culture <laughs> Of when I was growing up, but that's just the way it was for, you know, a kid in the 80s and 90s in, in the suburbs. In addition to becoming a sort of repository of 80s and 90s pop culture nostalgia, I'm Remembering encourages visitors to ask for help remembering something, even if it's the vaguest idea of a toy you once owned or something you saw on television. Here's where that concept of crowdsourcing comes into play again. I'm Remembering is a space where people crowdsource memories together. Well, I mean, I know you get uh, submissions and questions. Uh, was there anyone that, that has stood out to you? Um, there was one very recently um, that struck me because it was, it seemed so random and so impossible. <laughs> it was just someone was like, there was this movie and there was a sleepover and somebody was hiding under a bed. And I put it up, and I didn't really, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if people would help, you know, figure this out, if mm -hmm. people could solve the problem. Usually, the majority of times, people can, like, figure it out and solve the problem. But this one seemed so difficult, and um, it was so funny because there a couple days went by, and it was just, like, nothing. And then somebody was like, I think that was an episode of the show Seventh Heaven. <laughs> and then the person responded and was like, oh, my God, it was. It was, a, it was from an episode of the TV show Seventh Heaven. 
it was just interesting to see that even though there was such little information to go on, that that community was able to help this person solve their little memory problem. I'm remembering doesn't have the same rules as the Oxford English Dictionary when it comes to crowdsourcing, but the process seems similar. A public appeal is sent out, people respond with evidence, sometimes it's backed up with concrete proof, but sometimes the evidence lies with the overwhelming amount of people who have responded similarly. But Hillary pointed out that memory is not a clear-cut representation of how an event happened. I had older siblings, so some of my some of my memories like bleed out into the into their stuff. So mm-hmm. because I got like hand-me-down stuff, right. like, hand-me-down toys, and I also had um, like influ- They were influenced by some of their interests and what they were listening to and what they were wearing and what they were talking about. So sometimes I have like random like seventies <laughs> memories. <laughs> Where did that come from? Like I never had a Raggedy Ann doll. Like I never cared about that. <laughs> I mean, this kind of thing, childhood nostalgia altering past events and memories, happens all the time. Hillary has nostalgia for memories that she did not experience. Others might have remembered seeing the mullet hairstyle in the 80s, and nostalgia might have altered when they remember hearing the word. Graham said something during our conversation that really hits on this point about nostalgia. There might be, it's one of two things, either they're all, they're, you know, they're correct, Mm-hmm. And it's just that this was never written down, or it was written down, and it's somewhere we can't find it. Or there is another thing that happens where people confuse, I guess, yeah, people confuse the word with the phenomenon. Right. Because um, certainly you think of the haircut, uh, you know, long on the back, short on the front, as being quite a sort of 80s thing. But whether they were actually called mullets at that point, um, because actually, I guess, when they were at the height of their popularity, it was actually a fairly unremarkable haircut. And didn't need a name any right. more than you know any normal haircut. <laughs> uh, and it might be only because I think certainly by the mid '90s anyway. Um, I think the tendency was in the '90s to be pretty snarky about the '80s and how unfortunate looking they'd been. Uh, and I think it's not at all unlikely that a sort of slightly disparaging word for an '80s phenomenon would actually be coined in the '90s. So there is the possibility here of the phenomenon of the mullet in the 80s overtaking people's memories of when the word was actually being used to refer to the hairstyle. And what about this mystery behind the January 1992 issue of Street Machine magazine? Basically, the case won't be closed until someone comes forward with proof. As it stands right now, the Beastie Boys have the first documented proof of mullet. If the Oxford English Dictionary gets a hold of this supposed January 1992 issue of Street Machine magazine, the origin story of the mullet could change forever. I think it's pretty strange that the discrepancy between the January 1992 and January-February 1992 issues such a small change in the wording of the article. Why would that have changed between the two issues? I don't know. Seems kind of fishy to me. The public appeals page is open if you'd like to help the Oxford English Dictionary investigate mullet or any other word origins you might discover. That website address is public.oed.com appeals. Before I sign off for this episode, I just want to mention something that Hillary said to me during our conversation. Sometimes I wonder if it's, if that's going to change, like if, I don't know, because 
the mass media that people seem to consume now is so varied Mm -hmm. and it's not like everyone's sitting down together to watch all the same TV shows at the same time and everyone, you know, isn't reading all the same books and, you know, everyone isn't listening to all the same records or CDs. Everything is so individualized. I wonder if that is going to change the nature of how people collect memories and the sort of collective nature of, of pop culture memories. Now that is very interesting. How will crowdsourcing memories change in the future? Pretty much everything is documented online these days. Word origins probably won't be as difficult to find. But what if someone who was a kid today is trying to remember something that they saw and submits it to a blog like I'm Remembering, but maybe only a small group of people in the world saw the YouTube video that this person is remembering and crowdsourcing it is impossible? I'm just saying it might get more difficult to remember things together. Then again, maybe search engines will become so advanced that some AI is just going to scan our brains and compare our memories to what really happened. Food for thought. Anyway, thanks for listening thus far to this episode of The Oxford Comment. You can find us, as always, on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the OUP blog. Until next time, gumshoes. <laughs>